Um, hi everybody, welcome to the latest issue of the Blue Sky Fostering Podcast. Um, I hope you guys have enjoyed the episodes that we've played and made out for you so far. Um, today we're joined by Becky, who is a clinical practitioner in the Ringwood team. Um, Becky's been working at Blue Sky now for a few years, well, some years, and uh, she's done some amazing projects with our kids um, and does now loads of work with our carers as well. Um, Becky was a young person that has grown up in care and um, she's going to talk to us a little bit about this um, and about some of the work that she's doing now. So I hope you guys find it interesting. And uh, Becky, I'll let you sort of maybe do a better introduction of yourself than I just have. Um, no, 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 that was pretty good. Can you just tell us a little bit about the, the role that you've done since you've been at Blue Sky? Yeah, so like you said, I've been at uh, Blue Sky for a few, well, four years coming up to now. Um, and yes, yeah, so I started off as an individual worker. So that was working directly with the children. Um, which I absolutely loved and then uh, transitioning now into a clinical uh, practitioner role um, always makes me feel like I sound like I'm a dentist actually saying that clinical practitioner but um, so yeah so moving to work from the children to the carers which at first I was a bit apprehensive about I wasn't sure how that was going to be always worked with children or you know all my career so but actually I learned through doing that I can still make a massive difference in young people's lives just you know through the carers um, supporting them through that so yeah so it's been a nice transition and I still get to be involved in different projects and make different projects and still yeah help a lot of the young people through Blue Sky. Cool um, okay so um, what I would want to know is if we're gonna we're gonna kind of rewind a little bit um, and we wanted to really talk about how your experiences of the care system have played a role in the way that you now work with young people and carers and to share some of your story because um, I think people will really find that interesting to then know um, to sort of where you are now so if we, if we rewind slightly timeline that hopefully I'm sure that people guys will find interesting um, and then we can you know I'll jump in and ask you some questions along the way if that's all right yeah cool thank you Cool. So, um, yeah, so I was um, in and out of foster care for most of my life uh, from an early age, um, as far as back I can remember, around five years old. Um, and <clears throat> I think, the well, I know, but um, the, the main issues are with my family. Unfortunately, my dad was a, he was in the Royal Marines and he came out of the Royal Marines and just wasn't able to cope with normal life. Um, and uh, it came, became a lot of violence. Um, and a lot of um, other stuff. So he ended up most of his life in prison. Um, And unfortunately, my mum had some addiction issues, um, which made it not possible for her to care for me and my siblings very, um, very well. Um, So yeah, like I said, I've been in and out uh, different foster homes. Um, In the early days, I think it was um, promoted a lot to get um, children back to their birth families, which I know is promoted now, but in the early days, it, it maybe it wasn't thought through as well as it as it is now. Um, so yeah, so I went in and out, and even some time with birth family as well. So I lived with an older sister um, and things like that. And um, yeah, so I moved in with Blue Sky Foster Carers uh, at the age of um, I think I was ten or eleven, um, and lived with them for around ten years, um, and had yeah an amazing childhood with them and a really good. Yeah, yeah, really good with that. Um, so, um, can you still hear me, Becky? Yes. Yeah, cool. So, if we, you say, you say in and out of care um, through those kind of early years, um, was that coming into care and then going back to your mum and dad at all, or were you saying sort of that and then moving to family members and stuff like that? 
Uh, yeah, so in the very early years, um, before, so when my dad first came out of the music, he had his own business and he was doing very well painting and decorating at first. And my mum was a full time nurse. So um, life was probably quite normal for a short period of time. Um, mm. And when things, I think a lot of drugs and alcohol started to get involved in their lives when I was uh, a toddler age. Um, so, and then when my dad went into prison, I think my mum then coping with five of us. Um, was very difficult for her so what it would be was a lot of emergency placements so uh, maybe neighbours would notice that we were left on our own or maybe at school would notice we weren't clothed or we weren't eating very well so it would be a lot of um, going in then then going to find my mum um, trying to get her back on track and then putting us straight back in. Um, I see. So, so how, how, how aware were you of you like you say like neighbours noticing things and maybe things being noticed at school how aware were you of that at the time to think this is how I'm presenting or I may be looking slightly different to other children or are people looking at me a certain way were you aware of that at the time or is that something you think you've only become aware of as you become older and look back on it? Um, I think a bit a mixture of both. I mean, at very young ages, I remember um, a couple of incidents where I'd stolen food at school. And I remember the teacher's reaction being actually very understanding um, and were, they were quite nice to me about it, where in my head, what I was expecting them to do was to tell me off. I thought it was bad. I thought I was doing something wrong. Um, so I started to learn a little bit uh, around that way that, that I wasn't maybe as normal as the other children. Um, I wasn't getting what the other children were getting, if, if you see what I mean. Um, yeah. But yeah, it wasn't until I got a bit older um, and I noticed, I think you definitely noticed it in secondary school when you noticed about your appearance um, and you notice uh, going to friends' houses, per se, or, um, or even going into different foster homes, seeing how healthy, uh, healthy families live. Um, and yeah, but it was, it was very much in my childhood to, you would keep it a secret. You would keep, you know, you wouldn't say. It was, you know, you, you, I was told by parents to not say anything. So it was sort of very drummed in my head that you keep that quiet. Yeah. And, and then obviously with your siblings and stuff like that, um, were you, did you guys kind of, did you feel like you were in it t together with them? Did you guys kind of, um, uh, you know, did you turn to them for support for other things or they turned to you? Were you having to take responsibility for them at a younger age or how did, how did that kind of your relationship with your peers kind of develop? Um, uh, your, your siblings, sorry. No, that's right. Um, so uh, the, like I said, I'm one of five and I'm the youngest. Um, so uh, we've got three that are considerably older than me, sort of seven, eight, nine, ten years older than me. Um, and in them, a very long time ago, I think children's, they call them, uh, I think they used to be, now they call them residentials, I think, but children homes, they were put into children's homes because they were a bit older. Um, I think that's what they decided was the best thing for them. So actually the three older ones I didn't see for possibly eight to ten years wow. after yeah so um but it was me and my brother who there was um two years difference um in and yeah so we were just sort of we looked after each other um we were just always uh, we we're always there for each other um yeah so so you know always going out to get food for ourselves or you know if we were putting a placement together we'd have our running away plan um sorted within the first 10 minutes so yeah no he was he was um yeah we were always there for each other um it was just um, so can i ask you about that then so um when you were going into a new placement at, with with your brother mm -hmm. um and you say you had your running away plan um what, what did that like look like you know to, you know would you, would you uh, 
would you sit down and say, look, we've got to get out of here. Like, this is yeah. what we're going to do. Or Because I think that's something that potentially people think now is, you know, when, when people say, oh, you know, a young person's trying to disrupt a placement or, you know, they're, they're trying to, you know, um, trying to abscond and stuff like that. I don't think we very often hear the voice of what that's like for a child, uh, an adult who was that child thinking, I've got to get out of here. Mm. Um, so can you talk a little bit about what that was, what was like? I mean, how you did that? Yeah, I mean, it's weird thinking of it now because it was very much because uh, um, we did it every single time. It was very, a natural, you yeah. know, if it being either dropped off by the police or a social worker or some sort of worker. It'd be very much get in, um, either wait for bedtime or wait for just an opportunity to come go out the door. But it was more of never anything to do with um, the actual foster parents or the house or anything like that. It was more to do with being scared of getting in trouble with our mum. Um, we need to, you know, we've been found out like that, you know, they found us somewhere on our own or she's going to think we've told them something. So we need to now get back to her to, you know, make everything all right. Um, and we worried about her, to be honest. She, you know, a lot of issues. She was a very vulnerable person. Um, so our, 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 was, our main priority was to get back to her and make sure she was okay. Um, and, you know, and being some of the foster homes and stuff, they just, just didn't feel familiar. It didn't feel safe. Um, right at the start um, so, and, unless they put us in the middle of nowhere that was a nightmare <laughs> <laughs> that was a real nightmare <laughs> there, there were occasions where we couldn't and you know there were occasions where um, I, mean, I mean I remember waking up one morning in a house that was in the middle of nowhere and they took my brother off to play with the horses and stuff and the foster mum and sister um, wanted to play dominoes with me and I just thought it was the weirdest <laughs> thing in the world that they wanted to sit and play dominoes but you know I've never forgot that and I'd never sat with you know an adult like that and played a game so um we, we, you and, know. and how did how did they engage you with that then so from from the sounds of it you know you were going into placements you were off you go in the you know in the in the night because you're worried about mum which I think by the way is really interesting because I think a lot of the time people might take that to think well wh wh why have they run away from me why are they not staying mm -hmm. with me why you know I, I can be the one to make that difference and and you've quite clearly said it was nothing to do with them. It was the fact that you wanted to make sure that your mum was okay. But those guys that sat and played dominoes with you, why did you sit and play dominoes with them? What, what um, made you do it? To be honest, I remember if I was ever left with um, anyone like that without my brother, I would just go silent and yeah. I just wouldn't say anything. So I think what they were doing is, I think what anyone would do, and us as, as staff at Blue Sky, is just try and sort of have, you know, oh, we're going to play a game of dominoes, you know, you can play if you want, and uh, without me even responding, they were teaching me how to play it, and I just was joining. I think it was a way of them to say, look, you, you know, you don't have to talk to me, we know this is really difficult, we're going to play this game, you know, you don't have to play, but I remember playing, um, not saying anything to them, but probably showing an emotion with a smile, or you know, things like that. But they were very, you know, it was very much no pressure. It was just yeah. like, you know, we know this is rubbish. We're going to do this, but you don't have to join in. But, but almost by not saying those things and just by doing it, you kind of pick up on them, don't you? I guess that's what I'm sort of taking from that. It's like, we're going to do this. We know there's a hell of a lot going on. And actually, we're not going to worry if you're not massively engaging with us verbally. It, yeah. it doesn't matter. We're making, we're kind of easing you into kind of being here with us. Um, yes. So if we were to, um, talk about um your mum's addictions that you, you've spoken about um at what sort of age were you aware that there was addiction was an addic addiction was playing a significant part in her and your yours life um subsequently yeah yes i, th I can pinpoint it to uh, uh, a specific moment to be honest we were 
living so my I said about my dad being in prison but when he would he would get out of prison now and again and unfortunately he was very violent towards my mum so we spent a lot of time in refuges um which uh, sounds awful but actually they can be lovely places you know they've got lots of lovely staff there and playrooms and all this sort of stuff um and we noticed that my mum would at that point start to go on nights out with the other women um and maybe be gone for a very long time and there would be other members of the the refuge to look after us um and we'd hear conversations from them to say you know that it wasn't right and does mum do this a lot and i think i we remember i remember me and my brother then discussing about that we were starting to worry about her and um maybe this is an issue but um i think it was when we we were moved again to somewhere and where we both started to get uh, like into secondary school and whatnot um <clears throat> we just noticed that it was an all-day thing um and we noticed that we we couldn't exactly invite friends over and we you know her mood would be very different if she did or didn't have a drink or would take some drugs and stuff so um i think we just started to notice through other children and what other children were getting in their homes or uh, things like that we noticed that we were different um that wasn't happening for us and seeing what other mums were like at the school or you know things like that i think is is how we started to notice it was a real problem <laughs> and that's that that's the second time i think during this that you've said you started to notice that you were different mm -hmm. um is that something that's 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 stuck with you and and you know what's you know how do you now you know you are you're surrounded by young people and carers that are going through such similar things how do you kind of how do you not put that to one side but how do you not let that um cloud your work every day i, I yeah does that make sense as a question yeah no it does it really makes sense and it is and i think i didn't realize how much of a difference it would make until i started at blue sky because i very much went in you know, I've overcome this and I've got a job mm. and I've got a degree and I'm, I'm fine now. This is me. I've come out the other end. Um, but of course, working with children that have gone through similar things and what, talking to you about and even just having to read up on them and their chronologies. And you cannot help, even if you haven't had a childhood like mine, you can't help have so much empathy and, and, and sadness for a lot of these children and, um, and empathy for the carers looking after them. Um, but yeah, it was a journey that I had to go on and it was about taking responsibility about if I was feeling maybe triggered or uh, a case was becoming a bit too close to my heart, I'd have to be honest with my line managers um, about how we can manage that. Um, and there was always someone at the end of the phone at Blue Sky that I could talk to. And also, most and more importantly, is, is having my own therapy, you know, um, and, and separate people from Blue Sky that I can process those things with, uh, for me, but it, it was really important for me to take that responsibility. Um, and I've definitely got into a much better place with that now. I'm able to manage it better. But no, it was it was difficult at, at first. It was a shock to the system um, for me. Yeah. And so, what do you, what do you think that uh, has made the difference to you to to get in that position where you're able to do that? Because a lot of people don't engage with services like that, or don't or think that they have to put those walls up to be like no i've got this i'm good and then what happens is it leads to um you know them not being able to do the thing that they love as their, as their job so what what changed in your life to encourage to, to make you realize yeah, you know what i i can know my triggers i can go to support um go to other people for support when i need it you know what what did what have other people done to help you with that um I think one of the biggest things is that my awareness, my awareness at Blue Sky about how much I loved it 
and actually my previous roles or previous situations I might become very avoidant if I feel like that and just either cancel something or, or, or move job or something like that but I was there was something about that working with directly with the children at Blue Sky that I was finding although on one hand sometimes a bit triggering I was finding it immensely empowering yeah. and I knew that's what I wanted to do as a career I wanted to make that difference so I knew I had to battle those other things um, to keep myself safe and to keep others safe really you know it's um, being able to give my whole um, in a professional way and um, making sure I have that time separate and it just was that I knew this is what I wanted to do and to be able to do that you know there are things we have to work on for ourselves um, even if you haven't had a, a traumatic childhood I, I mean some of the stories individual workers hear or see you know we all need that extra um, helping hand and someone at the end of the phone yeah and I think that um, and, and you know, like you say when you were growing up that 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 someone at the end of the phone or that person to talk to um, you know was not your maternal parents was it um, so uh, how what people in your life have been there then as you've been growing up that you could turn to for that support um, I think, you know, I'll say, it to, you know, my, my foster parents that, you know, that now foster through Blue Sky, who I lived with for, I think, eight to ten years, um, they turned into my parents. They really did. Um, and they're people I can count on now. And, it, you know, they were people I could, uh, could count on then. I mean, it took me a while to believe that. Um, yeah. It took me a while to believe I was lovable and that I was deserving of that. Um, and... For them to provide that consistency for me and, and oh, you know, tell me you're going to be here now. The future is, is not something I'd heard before. So, um, yeah, I, I genuinely would. I class them as mum and dad now. And um, they were just there were people I could count on from the day I moved in to now in my 20s. So, yeah. <laughs> so when, <laughs> Very when, when we when we talk about um, those guys, um, if we were to talk about you moving in with them, because it's something we, we talk quite a lot about is that that feeling of when you turn up at someone's house that you don't know in a social worker's car or at a police police car or whatever and you knock on the door and that door opens could you describe that feeling of moving from the car to the front door and then from there onwards can you try and uh, yeah. First? yeah well what i'll do is i'll describe to you uh, the previous carers i lived with just because with these current carers it was a different setup so it'd be okay. easy for tell you some the ones just before who I lived with a while and I'm still in contact with them actually but yeah it's um it's terrifying it's uh, it's the best way to just and actually those carers were the first carers I'd gone into without my brother okay um so it was even more terrifying and it was uh someone coming to pick you up in the middle of the night that you don't know um and this particular person was probably one of the grumpiest people I've ever come across <laughs> which wasn't helpful um no. but yeah that pulling up it's it's about looking at the roads on your way in about what sort of house is it going to be is it going to be like a nice big house or is it going to be a small place that's a bit cramped and or, or is it going to be a, a messy place? and that sounds silly but those those feelings you know those thoughts do go through your head are, are these people going to be nice people are they going to be angry that i'm arriving in the middle of the night are they going to have children there that are going to not like me or maybe bully me you know there was you know all those sorts of thoughts going on in your head but and I think that's why it's so important now, isn't it? Is that we go on about our young person's friendly profiles for our kids before they come into placement. Mm -hmm. And it's so important that those are up to date and that actually truly reflect what, what you look like and what your house is like. And, mm -hmm. and, you know, have you got pets and stuff? Because 
those questions, although you might, I guess, you know, sometimes you might not take that in. Are you like you say, if it's the middle of the night and you're absolutely terrified, um, mm-hmm. those things are going to, you know, probably go over your head a little bit, aren't they? Because like you say, you're too busy. You're, you're, you're hypervigilant. You're looking at the streets, you're looking at the roads, you're thinking all these things. Um, so, so you're, you're, you're in the car, you're almost there. And, and then what's, go, what's kind of going on at that, at that time? Um, well, first of all, with the, these carers, I was quite, I remember being quite embarrassed because I only had one black bag of stuff. Um, so it's the, the, the you know the feeling of having your belongings in a black bag. Mm. Um, what I looked like, um, I didn't particularly have very nice clothes, or I probably wasn't clean, um, and things like that. Um, and how and old just, were you at this point? Uh, I think I must have been about ten or eleven. Okay. Um, for these ones, so um, yeah, just knocking uh, knocking on their door and just uh, sounds silly, but what are they going to look like? Um, yeah. Are they going to smile when they answer the door? Is it going to be a few people stood there? Or is it just going to be one person stood there? Um, just lots of thoughts going on. Are they, is the person I'm with going to make me go in first? I want to hide behind them. You go in yeah. first. You know, all those sorts of things. And um, I mean, luckily, these foster parents were lovely and they were welcoming. But even just going in the house when it's an emergency situation, it's 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 the worst because what they have to do is they have to sit down and tell these carers what they know about you with you sat there, um, mm-hmm. which is, is tricky. I mean, there was a question about bed wetting. I mean, I didn't wet the bed, but can you imagine if I did, you know, it, it, <laughs> it being announced in front of um, you and those carers. But uh, if I'm honest, if it was in the night like that, I would just be dying to get to the bedroom um yeah. and just to be there and then but then there's there's the next morning which i describe as probably the worst is when can i come up my bedroom do <laughs> yeah. i go and ask for breakfast do i not can i get in the shower where is the shower you know all those all those sorts of things it's it's a scary transition it's it's um you know for those of us that haven't had that it's there's nothing anything that i could compare it to in my life would just absolutely pale that in comparison because it's you know I was gonna and I'm not trying to belittle it at, at all but I'm trying to sort of relate I'm thinking when have I experienced that and that's almost like <laughs> you know this is going to sound ridiculous but you go to like a bed and breakfast and mm. you think well where do I go and where do I sit and I know and I and, and that's nothing that's literally nothing do you know what I mean and to, to to go through that times a gazillion as a child and it's your life and you've got all this other stuff going on. I just, I, I, I don't think that you can, you can understand that even slightly. I don't think you can begin to understand that unless you've been through that, I think, Becky. And I think all we could do is to, sorry, I haven't tried to do it in injustice. You know what I'm trying to say? I'm trying to think about, I'm trying to relate it to something that I can understand because I think when you learn things, you try and put, you know, you try and imagine yourself in that situation. And I physically cannot do that. I cannot imagine myself in that situation. Um, at, 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 at that age and look well, even now um so you know you, you've got up in the morning you don't know whether or not you ask, ask for breakfast are they going to have the things that you want for breakfast um so then what what, what kind of happens from there well these particular you know they were lovely and i remember the the smell of croissant I mean, I've never, I've, I've never been to with carers that cooked fresh croissants. <laughs> they were amazing, to be honest. And yeah, like I was saying about the carers with the dominoes, it was very much like there was no pressure on it. It was, um, we're just having this breakfast. We're going to leave it on the table, you know, come and join us if you'd like. Or they had like a separate conservatory where their birth children would sit um, and they introduced me to them. And they were like, oh, you know, you could sit there or, or wherever. And it just... Um, 
once we'd had breakfast I sat with the carers and they just you know kindly asked me about me and about what I like and it wasn't about um where I'd come from or where's mum where's your siblings what happened why are you here it was very much just like what do you enjoy what food do you like um and then telling them or telling me all about them as well um which is always helpful but I mean not all placements myself have been like that but um the majority you know they 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 were really good at trying their best to make me feel comfortable and making sure you know leaving the the things that a girl needs in their room towel and other things that a, a girl or any young person needs you know so you don't have to ask for it yeah I think that's really important there's been a lot of carers that I've spoke to about that and they sort of said like um you know they when a young person comes in they say look here's the bathroom cupboard cupboard um here's anything you might need help yourself to anything mm. um and that just kind of eliminates that need of you know what am I going to do um you know, I think that's, that's this, it will always really stick with me, a mistake that I made when we first did DV, um, and I didn't have um, some sanitary towels, and uh, a young person had to go to the shop to get some, and that's always stuck with me, how I wasn't prepared for them in that instance, because it never crossed my mind, and what an impact that could have had if uh, uh, someone hadn't been there to be able to help them, mm. um, and that's always really stuck with me, yeah. so I'm glad that there was somebody there to kind of help me at that time. Yeah. So the young person didn't have to kind of you know feel feel bad about something they definitely she was held yeah. not need to feel bad about um so if we were to move from there so then moving to the carers that were with blue sky um they, they, can you tell us about that then yeah so there was a bit of a different setup to moving with them um so actually after the foster care as we just mentioned i then uh, they tried to transition me back to my mum um which i found the most difficult I'd ever had in my life because I'd, where I'd lived with those carers for quite a long time, I became very happy and became settled there. And I got to the age where I really started to realise this was the way a child's meant to be, you know, it's meant to be in a safe place like this and mm. not the place I was in. Um, so I found that really difficult to the point where I was asking not to. Um, and once I'd moved back in with her, my mum, it only lasted a few days before she'd left again um and then they moved me in with my sister you know I was telling you about the older yeah. sister earlier yeah. so I hadn't met her for 10 years um and they decided to move her here um and yeah that didn't work out either um she, unfortunately she struggled with addiction issues herself um and the social uh, social services way of dealing with that at that time was you know if it got to a Friday evening and I was saying to school I don't want to go home they would say, right, you're going to go stay with this friend. And it would be the old friends at school and I'd stay there for the mm. weekend. Um, but actually that weekend, these carers were fostering a girl in my year who I'd become very close to. Uh, they were foster parents themselves, obviously. So I moved in with them for the weekend and they'd been witnessing what had been going on. They literally uh, lived across the road from my right. sister. Um, and the other uh, young person living there was able to talk to them about what was going on in the home. And it just got to the end of the weekend and they said, you know, if you don't want to go, you don't have to go. Um, wow. And you can stay here. Yeah. So then it was just set up as an arrangement. Oh, after a lot of fighting, they had to really fight for me to stay yeah. there. Um, and yeah, 10 years on. <laughs> <laughs> I, just, I never left after that weekend. Um, <laughs> get rid of you. <laughs> yeah, literally across the road. And it's funny because I often say to my foster dad, now I used to stare out of my bedroom window across the road and I used to see him walking past with his briefcase yeah. every single day at the same time and used to think oh that looks like a good family there <laughs> <laughs> that's the way it's meant to be but um yeah, yeah so it's, it just it came together 
nicely in the end. Um, but yeah, so it wasn't, it was probably the first time it wasn't an emergency setup for me. It was, it was quite and, and, do you, and do you think that because it wasn't an emergency placement, like you've said about previously, do you think that is a contributing factor to why it lasted like it did? Mm, yeah, I think anything that, that can be planned is so much better. I mean, I don't think I can recall any placement in my childhood before that one being planned. Mm. Um, apart from the when they tried when they moved moved back, back to your mum. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Which, um, so yeah, it definitely made a difference. And in terms of that, I I got to know them and um, they knew me and it felt familiar. I'd never gone into a place that felt familiar. You know, I used to go there for sleepovers and yeah, I'd stay there that weekend and it and you know for them to say to me we want you to stay was you know i'd not really heard mm -hmm. that before you know so that, I mean? that's 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 you know your your they, they it's, it's almost like they've chosen you to, to be part of their family would you say mm -hmm. that more sort of rather than you're here but then it's difficult isn't it because obviously we have a lot of emergency placements and so it's trying to turn that into something that like you've just said now isn't it which is mm -hmm. yeah it's um can i just ask you a question because i was talking to jade um i don't know if you know jade she's one of the, the social workers in devon um mm -hmm. we in the last episode of the, the, the podcast we were talking about loss and grief um mm -hmm. and um the the loss of those foster parents that you had when you moved back to your mum do you feel that you you, you grieve that did you suffer a sense of loss in the same way of, as a bereavement was there any kind of similarities? Yeah, I'd definitely say so. I mean, I remember finding it very emotional leaving and uh, genuinely that I was about to walk away from a safe situation into an unsafe situation. And I'd built relationships with them that uh, felt quite parental, you know, if you see what I mean. And mm. I'd not experienced, and I'd got on really well with their birth children. I felt very much part of the family um i was going to school every day and it was all the way in bournemouth and the school was in hamworthy and the foster dad used to drive me there to, and it, to and from every day and it was a lovely bonding time and you know i'll never forget the moment when he dropped me off because to the moment they were dropping me i was begging not to go yeah uh, and you know he hugged me at the doorstep um and you know as soon as it went wrong i thought to myself it's fine because they're, they're gonna let me go back there and they didn't and so i for that period of when they were trying to find my sister and how, they, uh, yeah, I definitely like mourned them really. I wasn't able to have any contact with them and I just wanted to be back there every day. So yeah. When, when I was talking to um, to Jade about, um, about grief, um, we were talking a lot about, you know, there being somebody there that you can talk to about that loss and somebody saying, look, this is what's happened. And she was talking about people using um, actual language. So, you know, say somebody had, um, had uh taken their own life she would she, you know talking about using that kind of language so that kids actually understand and that you're not tiptoeing around the actual the actual kind of facts so did you in, the, in that short period did anybody help you with that loss uh, of them in that grieving process or did you at that young age have to deal with that yourself um yeah i'd say unfortunately um at that time i was very much failed by services so i was uh once they'd moved me and my sister and they thought my sister was okay um they just stepped away um and actually it wasn't okay and i kept communicating with the school um a pastoral care worker um and probably on a daily basis about what was going on and um it was yeah it was very much said that I was trying to get back to those carers that I was using it as a tactic to get back there so a mixture of not of feeling that bereavement of feeling that loss and then feeling 
not listen to um, and all that sort of stuff. So unfortunately, no, at that time, I wasn't mm -hmm. supported. So do, um, did you, you just thought you just said about being listened to. Was there many times through your life in care that you actually did feel like people listened to you? Um, not until my, probably not until I was an adult, mm. only because I, I only began to talk about it as an adult. So okay. it's very much the, the silent child. Um, and, and, that, uh, and so that period where I was going into school when I was living with my sister, um, yeah, uh, around that, um, yeah, I didn't say anything at all. But that time, that period, I think it must have been around a year. I went a whole year of not being listened to when I was speaking out. Um, wow. And yeah, so, um, but as an adult, but unfortunately, because I was quite frightened at that time, I wasn't giving the full picture to social services or the school about what was going on. It just kept yeah. saying I wanted to leave. Um, so, um yeah, it was definitely missed at that time. Um, so if we were to move forward, um, obviously you're talking about being with the Blue Sky Carers. And then obviously there comes that point where you are moving towards independence. Um, and there's something that always sticks in my mind when we did independence training together. And you talked about um, some advice you were given around not working. Um, could you share that with everybody that's listening? Yeah, so when I left school, I was really determined to get into a job. And I really what that's really what I wanted to do. And I got into a job. And when I then turned 16, the social services, because um, I wasn't fostered through Blue Sky, I was fostered, I was privately fostered. Um, and the social services decided, right, she's 16, we're going to move Becky out into sort of a hostile environment or um, different environments they'd showed me around. Um, and actually those foster parents were saying, you know, we don't want that. We want Becky to stay. We would need some financial help with that, but, you know, we're willing to work that out. Um, and actually I had a job at that time and I was loving it. I was saving up for a car. Um, and the social services said, you know, you need to quit your job so you can then claim housing benefit to give to your foster carers um that was the message i was given which wasn't the, the most helpful um or encouraging and so how did you and your carers manage to maintain a relationship when you've got that you know you are going to potentially be staying with them but to be able to stay with them they need to be able to still put a roof over your head. How is that balance? How did they manage to balance that with, look, we will look after you, but we need to sort out the finance side. How does that not move over into a case of, do you know what? I don't feel like I am part of this. How did they balance that? Because obviously you are and have always felt and are a massive part of their family. So what did they do now as an adult? You can look back on that and think, yeah, that's how they balanced that. And they did bloody well. Mm. Well, to be honest, I know I'm telling you the financial side of it, but I wasn't aware at the time. Yeah, okay, cool. So they were very good at, um, you know, say, because I was just about to start college mm. and they were saying about, you know, what, well, it's not a great situation, but why don't you just take this year or whatever it was and just concentrate all on your studies and use your free time as your free time um, and just played it like that, really, like just enjoy this time as, you know, being a child, going to college, mm -hmm. um, meeting new friends and all that sort of stuff. So, um, but yeah, they would never talk about finances with me. Um, yeah. They just but were, were, were you aware of the, the finances when you were younger and a looked after child? Did that ever come into your mind? Because, you know, God, the amount of times, that, you know, you sometimes hear a kid tell, you know, you, you're only looking after me because you paid to paid to, to do that and stuff like that were you aware of that at the time or um 
you know what, like, you know, when I said earlier, a lot of them were emergency placements. So I never really thought about it at that time. Yeah. Um, but, you know, I was just very lucky. The two sets of long term carers that I had, I just was never made to feel that way. It just was never, yeah. you know, money was never mentioned. They just, it, yeah, I think it just the way yeah. they were and that they were genuinely happy to have me there. And it, you know, like decorating my bedroom and, you know, and I'm not saying it's superficial uh, material stuff, but it just was never mentioned or. No, good. Yeah, that's that's the point I was trying to get to. And also when you're talking about your room stuff, it's like putting your stamp on what is yours, isn't it? Um, you know, you get your hair cut a certain way because you want to be like, that's mine. This is my look. I own that. This is my room. I own this room. Um, it's your things, isn't it? In a place that you want them. And it's your things, not in a black bag. Um, like you've like you've said and that just the way you describe that makes it stand out even more why that should never ever happen to anybody mm-hmm. um, so one of the things that I would like to um, kind of talk about just to kind of rewind it slightly if we could would, would have been your dad's relationship with with the Marines and stuff like this and, and prison um, what, what kind of impact did that have on you as a, as a young person and what's the impact now as an adult as you've had to kind of as you've understood those those emotions and the feelings and the things that he would have probably gone through more now as an adult yeah yeah it's such a, a difficult one just because I had that massive gap of yeah having him in my life as well but actually although I talk about him that he struggled I do if I can look at memories of my childhood the best ones were with him Okay. Um, I, he, you know, he was, although he had this other side to him, he also had a really caring fathering side to him. You know, he took me every weekend to feed the ducks. He, um, yeah, he, you know, he made sure we were clothed and fed and the house was nice, um, uh, before he'd gone into prison. But he, um, he just had this other side that was spurred off through alcohol, um, and drugs. And, you know, when he was, he, when he was in the Marines, he, lived a very structured very rigid life that I think he really thrived from and then coming out and my mum's um had the three older siblings before um and then very quickly had um, me and my brother I think it was just throwing him into a life he couldn't um quite handle and then mixing in my mum who is a very uh, let's say stubborn argumentative person and fueling that with drugs and alcohol mm. was always going to end in um, a, a difficult situation. So he just, yeah, his way of then dealing with that was violent. And so as an adult now, how, how do you reflect on that now as an adult to look back on that? Like, um, yeah, how, how does that, yeah. How do you feel about that now as an adult? Yeah. Um, well, unfortunately when I'd gone into my third year at uni in Plymouth, he, he passed away. Okay. Cancer in, in, in the prison uh, which was very difficult but yeah. I was able to see I'd not seen him in that 10-year period I'd only written to him in letters so I'd gone to see him moments before he'd passed away and actually we were although he wasn't able to communicate with me much we were I was able to just have closure mm-hmm. that, and I was able to remind him that you know I remember the nice memories I remember you taking to feed the ducks and although obviously someone passing is the most difficult thing ever uh, it just it felt right for him. It felt like the right time. Um, he'd been in prison for at that point for such a long time. He'd gone up for parole, hadn't got it. Um, and it just, it felt like, it feels like he's at peace. Yeah. Now. And I'm able to empathise now as an adult about 
why some of his behaviours came from, where, you know, why he did that, what he was struggling with. Um, so I'm able to be at peace with that for him. And, you know, um, yeah, he's, yeah, he's, yeah. He's and one of the things you said um, about your dad was his structured life um, when he was in the Marines. Um, and to try and relate that to some of our young people when they leave care is that um, uh, some of the things that not not done for you, but there's a lot of people telling you, right, you're going to do this and then you're going to do that and you're going to live here. And this is what's going to happen. And, 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 and the system and the state takes care of you, doesn't it, in some aspects. So sometimes that may lean our young people more towards living that structured life once they leave care. So, you know, a lot of young people say, oh, I want to join the army um, or, or, or those kind of things. Do you think that there's a, um, a, a tendency for young people that leave care to need that structure because of what their, their, um, their experiences are as they're growing up? And do you think that that's a good thing or a bad thing? Mm, yeah, no, it's a really tough one. You know, a lot of young people I've worked with have, have felt the same. I think it's a, it can be a mixture of things, can't it, in terms of leaving care and possibly I was very lucky leaving care that I had that my foster parents to to stay with me and have that community and that support system but going out on your own you might look to something like the marines or the army as a community to be part of mm. um so in that way it could be positive you know but but for other other things you know that, that it could be too structured and it could be too regimented and it could be you're going from one environment to another that's not familiar yeah. Uh, at all and that can be a real trigger for our young people but for some young people it could be great you know they could really thrive off that and um it could start their life off in a positive way but for for some of our kids it could be extremely triggering it could be um you know that taking that level of authority from some people um and yet and too much structure can't you know is not always good no and i think the other thing as well isn't it is that you know young people get into 18 19 and gravitating potentially towards um I'm, I'm using gangs as a term but you know like groups of other young people that are potentially in the similar situations as them to to kind of fill that void of, of a family that is, is no longer there all the time isn't it um that yeah. would be yeah and i think you know some kids go to that as well whilst they're in care because although it's lovely that they're there and they're safe and things are going well they can seek things that are familiar because uh, sometimes that will feel safe um, and it will feel normal to them um, and I think that's sometimes where that sort of stuff comes from um, yeah it just feels normal from their childhood yeah we, we, we all like familiarity don't we yeah definitely um, so if we were to, to, to wrap all those things up in, um, in a big bundle, we then move towards the work that you do now. So can you explain the role of a clinical practitioner? And then can you explain how you draw on some of your experiences to influence the work that you do now? Yeah, yeah. So uh, a clinical practitioner is uh, someone that works directly with the foster carers um, on a weekly basis um, in a therapeutic way, um, going from sort of the, within Blue Sky, the Dan Hughes PACE model is what a lot of it's based on. Um, and yes, I work with carers at one week on a one-to-one -one basis and the next week uh, a group basis and it runs fortnightly like that. Um, and yeah, so providing space, a safe space for carers, 
um, to talk through what's going on for them and what's going on for the young people and how to manage certain situations um, or just to have that space to maybe rant about that situation or offload about that situation because it's a safe space for them to do that and uh, within the groups it's about doing um, sort of teaching for myself or bringing a theme um, and getting the carers to reflect on that and then also giving them that space to support each other and also rant to each other as well you know we, we all need that um, but yeah and just providing that different level of support that possibly a social worker would or a, a, another member of staff at Blue Sky it's it's I'm that their, per, their person and I often um, think of it as like how a child has an individual worker uh, you know the, the carer has that space too um, it's their space to, and you know giving advice and giving support and and yeah so that that's the sort of the role yeah and um so, in terms of oh sorry no no, no i was just going to say so um how do you i mean what i don't want to do is just say oh you're in care so you can do this role that's not what i'm trying to say is obviously you've gone through you know qualification after qualification and and course and constantly learning and stuff like that so we can take those those things of your 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 professional qualifications as, as a as a given so what i'm interested in is how those experiences as a young person pull through into that role now if that if that makes sense yeah yeah i mean they massively do and like i said earlier about the individual worker um having to be mindful about what some of that stuff might do to trigger me um, or you know all that sort of stuff I, I have I see a clinical supervisor provided by Blue Sky and my own therapist to, to work through that but yeah sometimes just sitting with a carer when they're saying I you've done this and I don't know why or it's really upsetting me or and to just maybe sometimes bring a little bit of myself in terms of I think they might be doing this because of this and now you know this might not be right but this is the experience I've had or I've seen with other children um, and just be able to sometimes even not wording that to them sometimes being in the mind of the child and then giving advice you know some of the stuff that they're, they're doing is stuff I've done myself or seen myself and can you know relate to and it's just bringing that other level of understanding you know all our clinical practitioners have a wealth experience you know they've done different jobs OT so, so everyone brings a little bit of their own life into it and it's, I think it's just an element that I can bring in sometimes and just have a bit of understanding um, yeah. And yeah yeah so I find that really helpful and I think my carers do sometimes as well good uh, well, how I didn't want that to come across was just to say you know oh your 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 area of expertise is being in care that's not what I mean but what I'm trying to say is it's that that's an added level on top of all the other things that you've got if, if that if that makes sense hopefully it does <laughs> yeah no it definitely did, cool. it definitely did. yeah um, <laughs> so um what is your kind of um if we were to think about the moment obviously what the world is going through at the moment is is the most incredibly strange is the only way that I can word it a strange normal is the only way that I can word it now. So what, is there any kind of consistent themes that are happening in your sessions with carers at, at the moment during this time? And what kind of advice are you offering to them um, around some of, without being too specific, um, what kind of advice are you offering at the moment? Well, do you know what, what's been lovely and uh, what I wasn't expecting is so many of my the sets of carers and the family's household is how much they're pulling together Mm. Um, and how much the you're sort of really we're all forced to enjoy you know <laughs> enjoy our time with the, the people we're living with at the moment which has been lovely I've been hearing some amazing stories about different activities and how creative they've been um, but you know on the other hand uh, you know I've had a lot of carers 
what the what the theme I'm getting is the pressure that they're putting themselves under and the expectations they put themselves under you know and just the lot of the advice and I'm saying it in so many so many of my sessions is you know don't expect so much of yourself don't pressure yourself to do that you know what if you've got them to do a little bit of schoolwork and that's all or you know you've got them out for a walk today or you know you've coped through got through the day that's all in this pandemic and at this time this is all we can do and it's about being kind to others but also being so kind to yourself um is the biggest advice i've been given is that things have to look different at the moment we do have to give ourselves a break um yeah that's the main advice I've been given at the moment. Um, and what about that pressure of, um, you know, we've got young people that potentially are in school or aren't in school. How are you suggesting that those carers that you work with manage that kind of containment of young people that are so used to being able to, you know, school might be the respite that, that, that they're at during the day and stuff like that. What, what's, well, you know, what kind of advice are we given around that kind of thing? Um, yeah, it's been so tricky. It's, you know, it, the best advice I've, I've been given is about, you know, the, the different things that they can engage them in at this time and making use of that. I know it's more time now that they can get out and about. Um, but, you know, share, getting them together. I've been trying to get all my carers together into different groups uh, mm -hmm. on Zoom so they can share ideas with each other or just relate if they're, they're really struggling to get them to do that um but also just being aware that some for some of these children um school and seeing friends and whatever they've been up to it can be a distraction to what they might be feeling inside yeah. so for some of our children they're having to be present in what they're feeling and you know that might be that might look like they stay in their bedroom all day one day or they I don't know, just seem very low and down, but they're, they're going through a journey. And for some children, this might be quite good for them to learn that they can sit with themselves and they can, you know, they can be chilled because a lot of our kids can't, um, you know, and that and for a lot of our kids that these, the carers are doing everything they can to engage them. So they're feeling more wanted um, at the moment, if that makes sense. It does. It does. I, I think that's something that I can particularly relate to is that it's made me have to slow down. Mm -hmm. um, it's made me have to sit with my thoughts. And that's something that potentially in the past, I'd be like, no, nope, I'm going to go and do this. Well, I'm going to go and do that. And you, you being present is very difficult when you've got a billion things going on in your head and you know let alone you've got a billion things going on going in your head and you've also trying you know you've also got this traumatic these traumatic experiences that you've had um you know there's it'd be interesting once this is all over to look at what impact it has had on the the journey of our young people you know young people across the world mm -hmm. uh, in their kind of you know their their recovery from trauma and stuff or their holding of that um, yeah yeah um so we talk, we talked about christ <laughs> loads of things um personally i just want to say that you know in the time that we've worked together there's not many people more that advocate for young people and, and different ways of bringing out their their talents and their engagement um you know and one of those prime examples is is, is together through talent isn't it um and i think that would be a really nice thing to finish on to bring it back to our young people is if you could tell us a little bit about where the idea came from and, and what you've done and your hopes for the future for that 
Yeah, yeah, I love, I love to get through talent. It's my little, it's my little <laughs> baby blue sky. Um, yeah, so I'd actually, I'd gone to visit um, a child's performance uh, through uh, Pool Kids in Care, um, which is uh, obviously based in Pool, but they get together uh, groups of young people that are fostered through Pool Local Authority, and they get together a bit like a youth group, um, and they talk about just they do lots of things about themes of being in care, what support they need right now, and they also just delve into their talents, their dreams, their everything they, you know, they want to do. And they put it into a show at the end. And they used to do speeches and all this sort of stuff. And I watched it and I was just stunned by it. It was so emotional. It was just amazing. And just watching such a large group of children having their voice in in, in at the same time and all their social workers sat there, their foster parents, parents, and I just thought, wow, you know, this is amazing. We need to do this for Blue Sky. There's yeah. so many kids that would benefit from that. So that's where the idea came from. And yeah, I mean, the first year when we got, I didn't even think I'd get it off the ground. I remember talking about it in my supervision and my supervisor, she just was so like excited about it. I was like, oh gosh, I actually have to do this now. I need to, I've said it, I'm going to do it. Um, and yeah, we got this group of kids together and it was a lot to manage and it was, we learned a lot through the first year, but just, we had, you know, talks that I bring a theme about what stereotypes of being in care or what it's like to be a child in care and education and watching these eight to ten young people uh, talk about that and feel like they could talk about it because they had these safe people around them and uh, they could relate to each other and then spend the second half of them just having fun, being kids, get, yeah. getting their talents together it was the most empowering and rewarding thing I'd ever done. And that show at the end, and, you know, all the staff members that were part of it were amazing. And, you know, the show at the end where they could just be what they wanted to be and show off the talents because they are, you know, these kids are the bright, talented, amazing young people. And sometimes that gets missed when you think about reading their referrals or the chronology or their reports from school. It's just a moment for them to shine. Um, and just yeah it just was amazing it's a lovely project I, th I think it's I think it's an absolute example of the, the benefits to bring in groups of looked after children together but not because they're looked after do you yeah. know what I mean so it's like <clears throat> it's we'll bring you together we're going to do this because you're all going through similar things and then we're going to do something that's 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 fun but that's meaningful fun and um, that, that, that's not you know um, that, that's going to challenge you but then you've got that time to then bond through that. I think, I think it's really important. I think, you know, whenever we do like D of E, you see the kids and you think you, every time you do it, you take a step back, you go, wow, like they, 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 they clicked. And there are the challenges, aren't there? And, you know, much like you say through, together through 10, it's like, you know, this is, this is difficult, but that's how you, that's how you grow as a person is taking on those challenges, isn't it? And, um, and then the, the best thing about together through talent is they then got the opportunity at the end of it. It's like that. Wow. Look at what we've done look at look at look at look at us and i think that you know it, we, it's difficult you know we might not be able to replicate it here there and everywhere and so you know for any carer that's listening whenever there's stuff that we can put on at blue sky it's trying to encourage people to get kids there isn't it i think that's so important mm, definitely yeah and you know for some kids it was difficult in terms of the the 
they're transitioning them there or you know the distance for young china you know blue sky is such a huge it covers yeah. such a huge area that you know it was hard to find a location but i remember some of the carers when they've done the first few visits and picking up the kids afterwards who were going in all shy or grumpy or i don't want to be here and then running out all best friends <laughs> i think that was enough for them to go oh yeah this is this is right for them and, and it's worth the the journey or the um, even sometimes the anxiety for the kids before and getting them there, the transition, it's um, and seeing it at the end. Um, yeah, it's, it's, it can be amazing for some of these young people. I think that's the groundwork, isn't it? That, that we're ask, we ask a lot of our carers and then, you know, with things like this, we're asking that, we're asking more, aren't we? We're asking them to have that difficult conversation of, look, we've really, you know, how many times as a kid do you hear people say, oh, you know, it'd be really good for you to do this. We think it'd be really good for you. So it, there's a lot of kind of pressure on them to say, look, trust us if you get them there this will work and there's so much great work that goes on across blue sky that really brings that out and and it's our carers that we wouldn't be able to do any of those things if our carers didn't do the hard work to mm. get to get those kids to a point where they want to go but also as well as it's about finding the right thing that if your kid doesn't want to engage with those things trying to find a way that they can do it that works for them as well and i know that you've had young people that you know were part of the project who didn't want to do the stuff on stage so help with the lights or help with video um, and those kind of things. I think that's incredibly important. And I am going to use the opportunity to talk about um, one of the things that we've got uh, a project running at the moment with Rick, who um, we're, we're trying to produce a song across Blue Sky because it's difficult to bring people together during this time. And what we want to do is produce the time, you know, that, that piece of the piece of music that we can look back on in 10 years and go, God, yeah, and we were all locked in. And, and this is the piece of music that we've got from that. So if anybody is listening to this and um, you want your young person to take part, you just need to make sure that you visit Blue Sky fostering.com forward slash sign up and you can uh, sign your young people up to take part in the project with Rick. I'm sorry that I've just jumped in there, Becky, and, <laughs> and, uh, and, 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 and plugged it, but I think it's really important that we get that out there as much as possible. Definitely. Um, so um, that's kind of all the questions that I had. Is there anything that you'd like to kind of share with our, our carers and those listening before we go that we haven't covered? No, but I think it's, yeah, we've talked about a lot, but um, just to maybe end it is that when I do this talk, in support groups I've done it at universities I've done it lots of different my main messages that I like to put across is uh, like you know a, one secure adult or one secure family can make a difference in a child's life and their future even if they just stayed with you for a month like I talk about the, the woman that played dominoes with me I stayed for one night and that stuck stuck in my head for you know for so some carers that are feeling like maybe they haven't made a difference or they were only here a short while are just all the carers are just doing amazing and you are making a difference is, is just what I want to say. Well, that made me smile. So good work. Thank you. <laughs> um, so thanks for listening, everybody. Um, I hope you've taken something from Becky's talk. I know I definitely have. Um, and hopefully when uh, lockdown is over, Becky will be able to um, take some of this out and about again to talk about this face to face to everybody. Um, if you've got any questions, um, if you want to send anything in, please make sure you send them through to me. Just ed at blueskyfostering.co.uk. Um, and we can put those to Becky and potentially um, if we have some, we can maybe do a follow up in the future. Yep. Yeah, cool. Thanks, guys. Take care.